Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive, this game is over! Goodbye baseball, Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, time once again for the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here again. I hope your weekend was better than the Mariners' weekend. Did not go well in Boston as the Mariners uh, stumble home after a rough road trip. We knew it would be tough going in. Cleveland, New York, and Boston. The Mariners swept by Boston in the final three, really getting beat up by an offense that is high-powered and surging. At the end of the day, the Mariners lose six of seven They've lost six of seven and the last six of seven on the road trip between New York and Boston. So they return home to take on Oakland tonight to add insult to injury. Some plane problems as well for the Mariners. They couldn't get out after the game in Boston. So we had to sit in Boston and wait and wait and able to get home eventually late or early, I guess, depending on how you look at it, around 1 a.m. or some somewhere along those lines. So today could be a tough one for the Mariners as they try and bounce back after a tough weekend, a long trip, some issues along the way, and now they'll take on Oakland for the first of two. So uh, after a few hours of sleep, here I am recording this. We are not going to dive deep into the weekend. Instead, what we're going to do in this podcast, and it's one I think you'll enjoy. We had some really fun conversations over the weekend, and that is what we're going to do. There's a lot that happened over the weekend, some you know, Major League debuts, Felix going on the DL. There's a ton to dive into, and we'll do that as we move through the rest of this week. Mariners Kikuchi on the mound tonight, 7-10 first pitch. Mike Fires coming off a no-hitter. And then Tuesday, Mike Leak, Brett Anderson, a brief two-game series against Oakland, both games at 7-10. Off day Wednesday before the Twins come to town. We'll talk about Minnesota coming up on the podcast in two days as well. In the meantime, we had a chance to catch up with Tyler Kepner of the New York Times, which was a great conversation and then really one of our, I think, our all-time favorites. We ran into Doc Emmerich, who's the voice of the NHL, the best of all time in the NHL, 
and we had a chance to catch up and chat with Doc in Boston for a few minutes. Huge baseball fan as well. That was fun, so that's going to come up in a few minutes. So next time we talk, we'll talk uh, what happened in the Oakland series. We'll get ready for Minnesota, and we'll dive deep into what happened over the course of this week as well. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy Doc. Smith tipped on out to center, brought on by Zetterberg, moving up with Albertson, two on one. Zetterberg, Beckman across, they score! Younger has it positioned away by Balkan, but just fought it right back to Marshawn. Marshawn delayed now, tucked it in front, score! Carlson off Ward, kept alive. Letty a shot, all directed on goal, score! Well, this is as great of a treat as we might have all season long as we are opening up this weekend series from beautiful Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts, and we are joined by one of the great legendary voices of any game. He is the voice of hockey. He is the Hall of Famer. Doc Emmerich is with us here in the visiting radio booth at Fenway Park. Doc, it is an absolute honor and a treat to meet you, and thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, this is fun for me. I came out to watch a baseball game, and I get to talk to you two guys. (laughs) I, I marvel at what you do because... Your games can be shortened and then added on at another time later in the season, or they can be long and they can go extra innings. And <laughs> ours are fairly predictable until playoff time, and once in a while they'll go two or three overtimes. But to do this and to become the friendly voices that people long to hear, especially after long winters, uh, I look forward to it every spring. I live near Detroit, and uh, when I hear Dan Dickerson do the first preseason game, it's just like winter has ended again. So I marvel at what all of you do, and I thank you for doing it because I am a fan of this sport, and uh, I'm, I'm here tonight just because we have a night off, and I'm a fan of the sport to watch two teams play. Don't know a lot about either one, but I'll learn by the end of the evening. <laughs> we are amazed at what you do, uh, Doc, uh, a Hall of Fame broadcaster. I just want to get your thoughts about uh, the National Hockey League coming to Seattle here in the next couple of years. You've got to be thrilled about that. Won't that be special? And if it winds up being an expansion draft similar to what Vegas yeah. got, uh, going to be a, it'll be a marvelous team right from the beginning. Uh, I go back because of being bald and wearing glasses and having gray hair uh, to the 1974 draft when Washington and Kansas City were training where I was a minor league announcer in Port Huron, Michigan. And those two teams were somewhat embarrassing. Washington won eight games all year. They won one game on the road in Oakland, and they celebrated by taking a trash basket and raising it above their heads in the dressing room as their Stanley Cup because they won a road game. That's not what expansion is like anymore, and it'll be wonderful to have a team in Seattle, and they'll be credible. Uh, it'll, It'll be something to be excited about there and to have a major league hockey team in Seattle will be too. You have called so many of the biggest moments in hockey history. Do you have one or two that sticks out over the others? No, not really. Uh, I guess I always go to uh, to international games, uh, you know, not far from Seattle in Vancouver. Uh, a game that really epitomized me, uh, to me, what the, the wonderful sport is about was the gold medal game between Canada and the United States. It meant a lot to both countries. The outcome was in doubt. The goaltender was pulled in the final minute, and the U.S. scored to force overtime, and, and uh, Canada won in overtime. We had a, interviews afterward with 
Sidney Crosby, who scored the goal, and Ryan Miller of the U.S., who allowed the goal. And had it been the other way around, uh, both would have been perfect gentlemen, uh, regardless of the outcome. And I think that told us a lot about the sport and the people that play it. You will have wonderful citizens in your town. Uh, they get involved in the community, and I, I, you'll just love having hockey players in Seattle. This, of course, the voice of legendary NHL broadcaster Doc Emmerich, a Hall of Famer. And, Doc, you are known for many remarkable things behind the mic, but one of them near the very top of the list is your use of language. Last year, as you well know, there was someone who logged 153 different ways that you described the puck being passed. Angled, blasted, bounced, brought, brushed, carried, fires, flagged, flew, lays, shooting, slipped, slugged, spiked, yanks, whistled, went, jammed, landed, moving. How do you come up with all this? Uh, I don't. I don't really plan it, and I don't write anything down. It's just uh, it's the way I talk. And as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, it is the way I talk. Our dogs don't understand it. Uh, I, try to, I try to keep the commands simple with them. But it, was, it was the way, uh, I guess, uh, my language evolved. And I've been doing it 46 years. And I was once advised by an announcer in Dayton who uh, recently passed, Lyle Stieg, who did some broadcasting for the Washington Capitals, that if you could come up with a different way of saying the many repetitive things that happen in hockey, uh, a different way, uh, because they happen so many times, that would probably prevent people from wanting to strangle you through the radio. And so, so that was what I did. And uh, there's there's no uh, contrivance about it. It's just the way I react to the play that I've seen. Uh, it was called to my attention today that I used pitchfork last night. It's it's a uh, Green Acres thing where it's a it's a movement of the puck uh, being pitched high in the air like you would do on a farm. And it only happens once or twice in a game, so it only gets used once or twice in a game. The game is so fast, Doc, but you make it sound so seamless. What, what are the biggest challenges of doing a, a National Hockey League game? I think it's the, the geometry of it, but it's also the advantage. And I, I think that especially um, hockey is the easiest of the four major sports to call. And I think yours is the hardest because you have so much time in between pitches. I know the, the clock that I saw in operation down in Bradenton in the preseason may, may lessen that if it winds up being adopted permanently. But yeah. uh, we're usually calling continuous action. And so you're describing what's happening in front of you most of the time rather than having to supply those stories that you are constantly working on and, and bringing to the audience like myself. Uh, so I think that part of it is easy. I think the challenge is probably the geometry, but the good thing is that the players at our level are the best and you don't have too many surprises. They make yeah. pretty much flawless plays, and so you don't get surprises like I did for seven years in the minors where there were more mistakes. It's fast. Some of the names can be tricky, but... You're the president of the NHL pronunciation guide, is that right? Well, yeah, they, that was until they turned it into an electronic guide back during the first lockout. <laughs> People sat around during the lockout and had a lot of time to think, and they thought, you know, this is another thing that we can do to improve things. So, yeah, our uh, our game is an international game, very much like baseball is now, and, and so uh, many of our players come from Europe. It's it, At one time when I first started, it was about 95 to uh, 96 percent Canadian, and now it's less than 50 percent about 15 to 20 percent United States, and the rest come from various parts of the rest of the world. 
So it is a universal game, and so we do have some challenges. And oftentimes the European players will say, I don't care how you say it. Well, we usually come back at them by saying, well, we yeah. care, yeah. and I'm sure your family cares. Our final moments with Doc Emmerich. Doc, obviously you are a baseball fan. Uh, what did baseball mean to you when you were growing up? I, I played it every day. My brother and I were, uh, we just were baseball fans, and folks like yourself uh, were a part of our life because we made scoreboards out of plywood and drove nails in inning by inning like the scoreboard that you'd see at Wrigley Field or at Forbes Field in Pittsburgh, and we would turn the radio on daytime we would get the cubs because at that time they played all their games yeah. during the day yeah. and then at night we would go up and down the dial now we were rural indiana and so we would get uh we would get all of the fifty thousand watt stations that were carrying games and we would hang the inning by inning scores as we heard them uh on st louis stations in detroit and pittsburgh and philadelphia all the common carrier fifty thousand watt stations that we would get and then at the end of the day we'd go to bed and some of the games wouldn't be over but the next day we would clear the board off and we would start all over again and we would play games in in the uh in the yard and make out lineup cards each day and uh whoever was at bat would announce and whoever was in the field would chase the ball <laughs> and uh i have to say this we were Midwestern guys, and in our games, the New York Yankees never won. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So when did you fall in love with hockey? Uh, age 14, I saw my first game live, and I think that's probably what will hook people in Seattle if they've never seen a game live. The first time they see it, uh, it, will, it will either hook them or not. Because when you see it live with yeah. all of the color and all of the speed and everything that happens, that's what does it to you. And I saw a minor league game in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and that hooked me. And from that point on, instead of wanting to be a baseball announcer like yourselves, I wanted to announce hockey. What was it like calling a Pirates game, though? You've, you've called a baseball game. Yeah, Bob Costas had learned that maybe one of the things on uh, that, that cursed phrase, the bucket list, was to do one Pittsburgh Pirates inning. And he called me the next day after he'd heard that, and he said, next summer we'll make it happen. And so he said, we'll waive all integrity. You can cheer for your team. It's an MLB <laughs> network game, but you can cheer for your team. And it, I think the Pirates played the Cubs 18 times that year, only won four, but we did win that one. And he let me take the last three outs because we were in a position to win, and, uh, and so we did. Doc, this has been an absolute thrill yeah. of a lifetime. Well, thanks. Thank it's you fun to so enjoy. much for coming and talking with us. Yeah. Fun to meet you, Rick, because I got a chance to listen to you when you were working with Ernie in Detroit. It you was a one. great time, and, and I'm so glad that you guys are devoting your lives to baseball because it makes our lives better listening to you. I don't know how many times I've had the radio on every day. When I go for a walk, and I've told Dan Dickerson this in Detroit, he and Jim Price are helping me live a better life because I go out <laughs> for three miles and I walk and I listen to the game on my headset. It's great to have you here, Mike. Thank you. It's fun. We can't wait to have you in our fine city when the initial comes to town. That will look like a great time to me, wow. too. There he is, legendary voice of the NHL Hall of Famer, Doc Emmerich, joining us. Shannon Dreyer now joined by Rick Riz, Aaron Goldsmith, and our special guest, Tyler Kepner, longtime New York Times national baseball writer. Before that, spent a little time covering the Mariners for the Seattle PI and author of K, A History of Baseball in Ten Pitches. That 
looked like a lot of work. <laughs> over 300 interviews? Yeah. Over a three-year period, um, from 15 to 18, I just basically locked in on any pitcher who threw a pitch particularly well. Just tried to talk to him or, or people who could explain the art of pitching. Brian Price, the former um, you know, Seattle coach, uh, was helpful in that. Jamie Moyer, Randy Johnson. So I, I made sure I got some Mariner voices in there. What, 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 why pitching? I mean, you've written some other books. How did this idea come to you? And, and tell us a little bit about the book. Well, I, I've always been fascinated by pitching. My favorite baseball player. I was seven years old in Philadelphia uh, when Steve Carlton won his last Cy Young Award. He was the best pitcher in baseball. A ton of strikeouts. And I just always developed a fascination with the craft of pitching. Um, and the more I covered baseball, the more I kind of gravitated to uh, pitchers, guys who could explain it for me well, like like a Jamie Moyer or a Mike Mussina with the Yankees, Al Leiter when I covered him with the Mets. Um, I just always wanted to know more. And I tried to pitch, you know, in high school. I pitch here at media games um, still. Uh, I throw very slowly, but I can throw it over the plate. Um, and I just thought that to tell the story of baseball through the pitches themselves, they all kind of become characters themselves. The split-finger fastball, the cutter, the change-up, the knuckleball, they all have different um, the characteristics and, and, you know, different interesting people who throw them. Kyler, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jamie Moyer because anytime I wanted to find anything out about pitching, I went to Jamie because he was the epitome of, of learning how to pitch or pitching right because he had that fastball about 82, 84, mm -hmm. but he could locate every pitch. Uh, what was the most interesting interview you did out of those 300 that really, uh, you know, encompassed what you tried to get in this book? Yeah, well, I, I, I talked to uh, Carl Erskine. He's in his 90s now. He pitched for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Got him on the phone. He lives lives in his hometown of Anderson, Indiana. We talked for a long time, and, and he would tell some stories that uh, just amazed me. He, he, he was talking about throwing a curveball. He had a great curveball and about how the index finger is not really the dominant finger on the curveball. And he said, in fact, it might help if you didn't even have the index finger, which reminds me of the time I met Three Finger Brown yeah, I was in the minor leagues. Brown, yeah. And so here really? I'm talking to someone who, who knew Three Finger Brown because he stayed at the Terry Hote house in Terry Hote, Indiana, and he'd come down and talk to the kids when Carlos was a minor leaguer, show them his mangled fingers and how he was able to have the, the best possible curveball grip just because of the machinery accident with his hand when he was a boy so to connect with uh, like a ghost of the game from the early yeah. 1900s was uh, i was spellbound yeah Tyler kepner is our guest he's the national baseball writer for the new york times and is the author of a wonderful new book k a history of baseball in 10 pitches Tyler, i'm curious kind of the further appreciation you gained for the art of pitching talking to the game's great about individual pitches and the microscopic level of detail in which you must have gotten with each of these guys and how sharp their memories are for all the finite details of this game that for the average fan there's 162 games and the season goes on forever but for these men i mean this is everything right right and 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 they were very almost all of them were really receptive to talking about it um you know talking about their craft and really what goes on and trying to explain what what goes on out there um you know, and, and one thing I noticed was just the common theme in the book kind of is the continual pursuit of excellence and pursuit of a way to compete, right? Like if you're a Charlie Huff and you're going nowhere and, and you're worried that you're going out of baseball, well, learn a knuckleball. Just try to compete. Just do something to stay on the field. Um, and even when you're already at the highest level, like Roy Halladay telling me how 
he was at the All-Star game in 2008, and he thought, he was already an All-Star, obviously, but he thought something was off with his cutter, and he, he was sharing a field with Mariano Rivera. So, hey, Mo, how do you throw your cutter? What am I doing wrong? And Mo shows him a different uh, thumb position for it on the bottom of the ball, and then for the rest of his career, Halliday carries around a baseball with the fingers traced on it um, that, you know, with the grip Rivera showed him. And that carried him on for three more years in 09, 10, and 11, where he used the cutter more than any other starting pitcher. And that stretch with Toronto and two with the Phillies really elevated him to the Hall of Fame. So it's that passing down of secrets through the generations, um, you know, that, that, that I was really attracted to. What are some other stories where you've heard where they, we, we see the fraternity of pitches. We hear the stories of Randy Johnson talking mm-hmm. to this young pitcher mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, Roger Clemens doing the same thing. What are some that you can think of where they've helped out along those lines? Well, one of the, I, I try to get in, in touch with the stories anyway of, of some of the great coaches. Um, and one of the coaches was Johnny Padres, uh, who, you know, through the, the last pitch of the 55 World Series, a shutout um, right here across the street at the old the old Yankee Stadium uh, for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Johnny Padres threw change-ups. He was a big change-up guy. He became a coach, and he taught the change-up to many people, including Frank Viola. And Frank Viola went on to use it to win the first World Series for the Twins. So you can trace that directly to the change guy who won trade. the first World Series. <laughs> right. Wow. And then he taught it to a coach named Guy Conti in the, in the L.A. Dodgers system who taught it to Pedro Martinez. Uh-huh who used it to become Pedro Martinez, right? Wow. And Pedro inspired kids in the Dominican like Kelvin Herrera, who helped the Royals win the World Series, all yeah. by throwing the changeup, and you can just trace it back to Johnny Padres, and, you know, throughout, that's that's the passing down of heirlooms, you know? Did you get a chance to talk with Gaylord Perry about the super sinker? <laughs> the super about sinker, the right? jelly ball. It was funny, because Gaylord, Gaylord didn't really want to talk, so I'm like, well, I, I you know, he has a lot of stuff in his own words, um, in stuff that he's written, but I got, I got a uh, an email about some golf resort was having a conference call and Gaylord Perry was going to be on it. So I'm like, well, he was kind of tricky. So I'll I'll take this one chance to be a little tricky myself. So I jumped on that media conference oh, call good. and I asked Gaylord a few questions about uh, trickery and some people he knew along the way. So <laughs> just so I could say that I talked to him for this process, but yeah. There you go. You know, Tyler, we all know, and this is a, a known fact, that the greatest accomplishment in sport is the immaculate inning. Oh, boy. There's nothing better <laughs> in the world of professional athletics. Uh, I need How many chapters are devoted to the immaculate <laughs> inning? I'm not a big immaculate oh, inning. Oh, Tyler, get off oh, the yeah. air. Oh, I, I just and broke I, his heart. You and yeah. I have been so close oh, for so long. You know, I'll tell you why. Because I saw one once and didn't even notice it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes like, it great. Some Yankees-Marlins game, and they're like, A.J. Burnett just struck out the side on nine pitches. I'm like, oh, crap. I mean, don't you think I, it's more, it really more of a Tyler it. problem than a baseball uh, maybe, problem? Maybe, but you know what? I mean, they say it's always X number of immaculate innings in baseball history. Do you really think people were paying attention in 1922 to how many pitches there were in an inning? They weren't pitch-by-pitch data back then. You're relying on the writers from the time to have cataloged it. People of your craft, yes. Well, you know, maybe they were on on, on Twitter or something. (laughs) Earlier version of Twitter instead of watching it. I don't know. It's cool. It's definitely cool. But I'll I'll take a perfect game, which you guys have. You guys saw two of them a couple years ago in the same ballpark in the same year. And there hasn't been a perfect game. How about this? And a six combined six player uh, no hitter. That was the same year. Same year. Okay. Wow. But so there hasn't been a perfect game now in almost seven years, and that's the longest stretch without one since like the the 68 to 81 range yeah. with with catfish to to len barker so there was a little a little flurry of perfect games there when when felix had his and yeah. umber 
but now there haven't been any in a while. That's why pitching, oh, another reason it's so See, weird. I don't, I don't even yeah. notice the perfect game if it happens in front of me. <laughs> I just, I, You're I all about the immaculate yeah, inning. Yeah, but the yeah. immaculate inning, like, that stands out like a sore thumb. I'm not sure Aaron's <laughs> going to recover from this. this. Is, I mean, I, Tyler is such a great guy. And I've, well, I've thought so highly of Tyler for so long, and now my world is spinning. Yeah, I just, yeah. I love the four-homer game and, and the perfect Four-homer game, game is great. The immaculate inning. And you have, you've seen that with yeah, Mike, Mike Cameron, Cameron right? Second, yeah, Tyler, we've seen it all. Yeah, right. You've seen almost all. Yeah, yeah. There's some things that Mariners haven't seen, but we don't need to get into that. Oh, right? come on. <laughs> I would love, I mean, everybody who covers baseball would love to see the Mariners, uh, you know, get, get you know, pushed through and get to the World Series because, I mean, I tell you, maybe it's just biased from living there, but sure. there's no better city, especially in the summer. Um, than Seattle. It's it's continues to be my favorite city. I I wish I got back there more often, but the best ballpark and the best city and um, great fans. I just hope I hope this new plan they're working on, uh, you know, works out here because they 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 sure tried everything they could yeah. with the last group and. Uh, you know, we'll see what this next one does. Well, perhaps there'll be a stop on the book tour. It looks like you've been traveling around quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I've been practicing that autograph for 40, 40, 44 years, so uh, I'm getting to use it now. And, and everybody's been so nice, uh, you know, going to the bookstores and everything. And, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. I got to talk at the Greenwich Library in Greenwich, nice. Connecticut tomorrow. And, uh, okay. you know, so it's, it's, it's been great. Yeah. yeah. All right. He is Tyler Kepner. The book is K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. Mother's Day, Father's Day all coming up. I think I'm going to need a couple of copies there for that. Go. There you go. Thank Thank you for that, by the way. Sometimes it's hard to think of. Yeah, well, yeah. That, if you tell me what to get, for a good baseball now you tell me book. what to get for Mother's Day for my, my mom, and we'll be all set.